Welcome to Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam, a podcast about navigating adolescence without losing our minds. Each week, I guide you around the teenage landmines with practical tips, simple solutions, and words of encouragement. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. Let's get on with the show. Hello, Calm Parents. Welcome back to another episode of Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. And today I'm talking with Dr. Tamara Souls, child psychologist and parent coach. Dr. Souls is a psychologist, parent coach, and founder of the Secure Child Center for Families and the Children. She's also the mom of twins who present everyday opportunities to live what she's practiced with families for over 15 years, that harnessing the power of connection helps children thrive. Dr. Tamara is the creator of the online parenting course, No More Power Struggles, which opens its doors again soon. Currently, you can hear Dr. Tamara on her podcast. This hour has 50 minutes. Hello. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Cam. It's such a pleasure talking with you. It is. And I, I, I mean, I was on your show, so it's yeah. so fun to be able to like share, share insights. So I'm so excited to hear more about your story. Tell us a little bit on how did you get into working with parents and teenagers? Well, from I was one of those kids who knew from very early on that I wanted to work with kids and families in some way. I was the kid who was trying to babysit, you know, at five, the three-year-olds and trying to carry them. So that sort of nurture inside has always been there and that caretaking and advocacy side has always been there. And I've really wanted to always be a voice for kids in particular. And for me, psychology always felt like a perfect opportunity to do that. And I also always envisioned myself as a mom. I had always hoped to be a mom. And so I wanted something that also gave me flexibility so that I could be with my kids in the way that I wanted to parent. Mm -hmm. And that meant having flexibility with my hours and my own schedule. So between wanting to advocate for kids and families and wanting my own schedule, (laughs) psychology was the perfect fit. That was the way to go. So one of the things you talk about a lot, and I know this is one we were talking right beforehand too. This is one that we're really, um, I know is a difficult thing to just, the concept is so hard. So this idea of punishment, and I know a lot of parents will come to me and say, what is the best punishment for this? And we're very much in this psyche of punishing our kids. So tell us a little bit about why you think that is, and then what the kind of detriment of that is. That was a leading question, wasn't it? But okay. (laughs) What detriment, Dr. (laughs) Kim? No, 100%. First of all, listen, I think that's the way most of us were raised, right? So it's the model that we've had. And it's the model that is out there. And quite frankly, it's the model of a lot of psychologists still practicing. So there are still some trusted voices who you know, think children are just human rats that follow these overly simplistic and not accurate behaviorist models. So between that being the example that we've had and this notion, you know, that is not accurate, that children learn when they are punished and they will change their behavior next time. As I said, it's just not true. But at the same time, parents have generally very little 
opportunity to learn what to do instead. Mm -hmm. So even if they, even if their real life experiences are showing them that punishment isn't working, like I keep doling out this punishment and the same thing keeps happening, a lot of the time parents come to me and they'd say, I know this isn't working, but I also have mm -hmm. no idea what else to do. And so they kind of get stuck in this upping the ante situation. Like maybe I just haven't found the punishment that hurts enough or that yeah. means enough or my child doesn't care about that. So that can't be the right punishment. So they lack knowledge and information and, you know, they're well-intentioned. They're trying to help their child learn, but just with the wrong tools. Yeah, 100%. I, I think even when you say, you know, they're not they're not rats, but I think studies have even shown that rats don't learn very well through punishment either, right? So even if they were, it still doesn't work. Like Agreed. we don't as beings yeah. really respond well. You know, it's this short term. Yeah, we may change out of fear, yeah. but I think the ultimate goal parents are doing is trying to instill the tools and the mindset to make good choices. So how, how do we do that? What do we yeah. do instead of it's, taking the phone? Yes, it's such a radical shift because in my experience, and I'm hopefully you've probably seen the same, but you can't just stop punishment and then not have any <laughs> plan or alternative and expect that if we just stop punishment, you know, just stopping punishment actually will make some improvement. It will actually, but crazy it, enough. Even on its own, but in order to truly do what you hope to do as a parent, which is generally to instill good values, good morals, you know, help your child make good decisions, you need a foundation. And that foundation is not reward and punishment. That foundation is connection and relationship. Mm. And so in order to shift away from this paradigm that doesn't work, you need to start by rebuilding that foundation so that when your child is making a choice, they're making the choice not from this old paradigm of will I be rewarded or will I be punished, but from the what is the right thing to do that has been shown to me, has been modeled to me, that I've been allowed to explore on my own, and that I feel you know, I don't, I don't want to upset this person, or I don't want to hurt yeah. this person. I feel connected to this person. And so I intrinsically want to do things that keep me connected um, and in connection with this person. So I, I can tell you, and whenever I, whenever I interview people, I, ha I have all my clients' voices in my head, right? And so I'm hearing several of them right now going, yeah. not my team. Like, if I give my team any leeway, oh my gosh, they're going to be even worse than they are now. They're going to walk all over me. It's going to be bad. And so, you know, I have to hold them and rein them in or it's going to be ugly. So what would you say to a parent that, and all those parents, because I know there's many, many, many of them are thinking that. I would first start by helping them define you know, what are the rules that you're instilling that you feel are going to be walked all over? Because it's possible that you are already trying to over control your team in an effort to keep them safe or to help them make good judgments. So often we haven't given our teens enough space and leeway and tools to kind of explore and problem solve on their own. So we over control things. And so that's already a challenge. And so if we do sort of stop the punishment, um, yeah, they're going to violate these rules that you may have created because they may not be valid rules. 
Um, but even aside from that piece, when you shift away from the punishment and your child may start or your teen may start reacting to this, like, what is happening? They may start trying to push boundaries or explore what does this mean? But ultimately, if you're working in parallel to encourage discussion, encourage problem solving, your teen will become more open with you. You will be able to engage more with them. And we know from research, and I know you talk about this, that our teens are actually craving more connection with us, even though they may on the surface appear not to. But I think a lot of that is self-protective and a lot of that is you know, the result of not having enough connection. And Mm -hmm. so if we trust that the connection can bring us closer together, and that we can use that to leverage our relationship instead of leveraging things, then we can get closer to where we want to be. I I love that. And I think what what is kind of this cycle that I see people in is, and one of the biggest things I hear from parents is disrespect. They can't tolerate the disrespect. What I is hard to process is the fact that the punishing and the punitive reactions to them is actually what's triggering their disrespect. Yes. So we get stuck in this trying to push down their disrespect in the using the very thing that is making them feel the need to be disrespectful because it's their voice. And so we're just setting them up to fail over and over and over again. And the thing we lose by doing that is what you just said is the most important thing, which is connection. Yes. So we sacrifice what is actually going to change their behavior and have them more respectful. Yes. We, we change, we sacrifice that very thing. And so we're, we're just, we're set up to just, we're just, we're stuck. And we're sabotaging it Mm -hmm. in that way. And you know, I completely agree with you. First of all, I would say that we need to be building that respect from day one and having the the path to that is by showing them respect, right? You know, a lot of, um, a lot of our generation, you know, grew up with this model of like, the parent deserved respect, but there wasn't necessarily a (laughs) bi-directional approach to respect. So number one, we have to show our own child and teen respect. And two, one of the things about so-called disrespect is that it's so tied up in our own egos and our own reactions. And when we allow space for, you know, children and teens to express their emotion without personalizing it, and I'm not saying that, you know, we're tolerating people being you know, using language that isn't appropriate or hurtful and not having some conversation around that. But when we get so reactive to a teen expressing their emotions intensely in a way that we feel is disrespectful, right, which for a lot of parents, when we're tripping on our own egos, we feel disrespected when they haven't listened to the first time we've asked them something or, you know, when they grumble when we're asked to do something like grumbling is not a crime. (laughs) Uh, Adults do it a lot. Grumble all the time. (laughs) We do a lot of it. Yeah, that's it. So just watching our own egos and, and asking ourselves, like, why does this trigger me so much? And why are my expectations maybe not in line with what you know, we 
should be expecting from our teens, you know, knowing that their brains are not fully developed and knowing that their emotion regulation is fragile. So how can I set my expectations in a way that, um, again, that doesn't mean that we don't hold them accountable. It doesn't mean that we don't hold a standard of, you know, kindness and respect, but also being realistic about, you know, when, when things happen, when they show emotion, I can respond to that in a way that isn't triggering me as well. Or if it is, I need to get that in check first before engaging with my teen. That's you said than done. And I say that as a parent myself. I know. And so here's, here's the thing that I think people get really tripped up over too, is that when they hear this, they immediately go to the other side going, so you're saying just let my kids do whatever they want and walk all over me and treat me like crap. And no. So where do we, where, where's that balance? How do we find that balance? We, how do we, how do we help our kids learn to make better decisions if we don't punish them to show them when they're doing it wrong? Right. So one of the things I want to highlight is that punishment doesn't cause behavior change. Like we talked about what punishment does is it helps people get sneakier about their behaviors. Right. So I always give the example, especially when we're talking about teens of, you know, when you've been using the reward punishment kind of paradigm as a parent, you go away on that trip to Florida for, you know, the the school break and you leave your teen behind. Are they going to not have that party because, you know, they respect their home, they respect the rules, they respect you? Or are they going to have it because I'm not going to get caught? So or even on. if I do, I'm going to get in trouble anyway. So right. I might as well do it. I hear that a lot. That's right. Exactly. So it's about helping teens make good choices, even in your absence. And that doesn't happen so much when we use a punishment yeah. model, right? We want them because it's not about making the right choice when I'm watching you. We're launching these individuals into the world, hoping that they make the you know right choices throughout their lifespan, not with us hovering over right. them. So, so that's one piece of it. But going back to your question about, you know, are we just letting them get away with this? No, you know, I can choose to set a boundary, but I can set a boundary in a way that is warm and empathetic, but not triggering, right? Mm -hmm. Or I can use humor. You know, I try to use humor a lot. Humor diffuses situations pretty quickly. So if someone snapped at me, for example, I might be like, you know, act as if like, whoa, where did that curveball come yeah. from? You know, and just respond in a way that isn't going to add fuel to the fire, right? Yeah. I often talk with my own kids as well as my clients about a problem kind of being a fire. And at any moment, each of us has the choice about whether we're adding a log to that mm-hmm. fire or water. And so I can still hold a boundary and say, you know what? I can see you're really upset right now. If you want to talk about it, I'm here to talk, but you can't use those words with me, so I'm going to go, right? I can set that limit, um, but it's not any less effective. In fact, it is more effective to set it that way than me losing, you know, my, you know what, and saying, you can't talk to me like that. How dare you? Because as soon as we engage that way, not only are we not solving the problem, but we're making it more likely that they are going to do it again next time because they're right. And we're just adding, adding, adding. Yeah. We're just perpetuating and perpetuating. Whereas if I can choose to disengage and say, you know what? Okay. You know, if you want to talk about what's happening here, let's do that. But, you know, I'm going to go 
get a glass of water, I'm going to go take a breath, I'm going to go calm my own self. Because yeah. of course, these things are triggering for most of us. It's not that they're not, it's just we as adults have more equipment in theory, in theory. to be able to manage that. And if we don't, that's where a lot of the work has to be too, right? Yeah. And, and I think just looking at the irony of, you know, getting angry at your teen for getting angry and yelling at your teen for being disrespectful and yelling. It's like, okay, so you're modeling the very behavior you're trying to teach your teen not to do, exactly. which is really teaching your teen to do that. Yes. So if you want your teen to respond differently, you got to do it yourself first. Yes. I think Often that's a hard I, one. Yes, exactly. Often when I'm working with families, if I feel like I can do this gently enough and they'll be receptive, you know, when they'll describe the, you know, I'm telling you to stop yelling and whatever. And I'll be like, do you need me to point out the irony there or are you getting it? <laughs> you know, like, again, I might gently kind of prod and, yeah. it's, you know, it, it, we do these things. We do these things often because that's how they were done to us. It and is. We need the tools and most schools are not teaching emotion regulation skills. You know, these are not skills that most of us grew up being explicitly taught and or even having modeled for us. So yeah, a lot of us don't have it either already. So it's yeah, developing it ourselves. And I think, and I like that you point that out too, because I think it's really important to just, and I, I affirm this constantly, this is not about shaming parents because mm. we're all about not shaming your kids. So the yeah. last thing we want to do is shame parents too. This is about saying, let's get rid of shame yeah. all over the place. Shame is yeah. just ugly and messy and does not do anything good for anyone. But let's just say, hey, we get it. Yeah. This is what we were taught. This is all we know. Yeah. It's not working or you wouldn't be listening to this show right now if it was working beautifully. Yeah. So let's try something else. Yeah, that's it. And as I said, you know, I am not immune from these things. None of us is, right? I don't know anyone who doesn't lose their, you know, their cool every once in a while. Some of us more than others. And, yeah. you know, that's understandable. We are a work in progress. And even when we do lose it, great, that's an opportunity to come back and say, wow, you know what, I'm, I lost it there. And my reaction was like an 11. <laughs> and, you know, again, I don't know about you, but for many of us in our generation, we didn't have that repair from our parents, right? That was not, that was not there. And that's so important, right? You know, when we're when we're working out and working these muscles, we work them till they're, you know, kind of broken and then they build up again. And that happens in relationships. We have these moments of disconnect. We have these moments where we lose our cool. And it's not that we've lost our cool that is the problem. It's what do we do about that, right? So yeah. how do we come back and reconnect and say, here's what I wish I had done. Here's what I wish I had said to you in that moment. And that's really powerful. It's incredibly healing to have somebody come to you and genuinely say, here's what I wish I would have said to you in that moment. Um, and here's the other beautiful part about this is so often we're angry at our teens because we're not getting an apology from them. We want them to apologize. We want them to give us a sincere apology. They apologize. We're like, we don't that. But yet we refuse to apologize, which says apology is bad. Apology shows weakness and I don't know how to apologize because no one's ever apologized to me. 
So how would I know how to apologize to you the right way if you've never modeled it? Right. So again, irony. (laughs) There's a lot of irony in parenting. Yes, exactly. And, you know, we, we go about our parenting a lot of times as though our children or teens behavior is a report card on our parenting. Yes. And as a result, we get very triggered, you know, on the whole, we get very triggered by, you know, our child being seen as disrespectful, our child making a bad choice in front of other people, our child being rude, because we think, okay, now I'm being judged. And, you know, that can come from all kinds of places. It could be our own, you know, experiences growing up and feeling validated and worthy and now seeking this approval from the, you know, the universe and how we parent. You know, there's so many complexities to it. But because we view our children as, you know, their behavior is directly commenting on our parenting, then we feel even more triggered and even more angry when they respond that way. And so, yeah, the apologies are not often forthcoming because we're still so wounded by their behavior. But when we can start to shift that and we can start to reconnect when we've lost it and we can model those things so that they understand how to do it and we can expect that someone will repair. And I always try to focus when talking to families on this concept of repair rather than apology specifically, Mm. because there are a lot of ways to repair. And for some people, it is really hard initially to muster the I'm sorry for because and I wish I had done right. The repair might initially be just going and, you know, maybe bringing somebody a cup of tea or bringing them a, you know, a glass of water or just sitting next to them until we can get to the point where we can maybe more verbally express those feelings but that you know it's so incumbent upon us to model that and it comes back to the respect right that we are we're trying to model the respect so that we give them a map of how to go about it also i think there's also a fear that if we admit wrongdoing we show weakness and we give our teens a place to like use it against us yeah as we use it against them You know, so I think we're like, we don't want to get ourselves in a position where our kids are going to hold that over our heads and say this. And kids don't tend to do that. If they do, then that's a really big sign that there's a lot of repair that needs to be done. Yeah. So I agree. And, you know, that whole paradigm that you're describing is really why I created that No More Power Struggles course, because it's coming from this notion that parenting is this power structure and that we're constantly vying for power with our children you know when they're trying to you know gain some power we need to assert our own so that we make sure that we're still in the power position yeah and i'm not saying that that means that you and your child are on equal footing about equal decision making all the time no but it's not black and white you know we can give our teens a lot more room and and autonomy and ability to problem solve and make mistakes and navigate these things in such a way that the paradigm doesn't have to be about I'm the one who's holding the power and you're not. Because when we do that, we inevitably are asking them to find ways to push back in order to get some of that power back, right? They're going to claw it back if they need to. I mean, let's point out some more irony here that 
the very fact that you're trying to clamor for power and exerting your power this way is actually putting you on their level of emotional outbursts and dysregulation. So if you want to have this more authority position, then you need to come at it from a more authority perspective, which is the calm, rational, let's figure this out perspective, not the emotional outbursts where, again, now you're on equal ground emotionally. So I think, again, lots of irony. (laughs) Yes. And you know, a lot of parents will, um, again, as you said, hearing the voices of protest from various parents, a lot of them will say to me, well, when the police officer stops my kid for, you know, speeding, they're going to give them a ticket. They're not going to ask them about their feelings. Or they'll say, you know, well, their boss is their boss and he's going to tell them what to do. And if you don't do it, you get fired. Yes, perhaps. But that is not parenting, right? Like this is our job is to parent them to send them out into the world, not respond in the same way that other people will. But even within that analogy, I often talk about a work environment and the difference between a manager and a leader, right? And yes, if you're a so many parents are in managerial mode from the moment they wake up, they're waking their kid up. Did you brush your teeth? Did you put on your clothes? Did you do your homework? Did you pack your bag? Did you remember your lunch? That's micromanaging, which we all hate, right? We all hate, exactly. And then the minute they're picked up or the minute they arrive home, it's the same thing. And so when we spend our days micromanaging every moment of their day, of course, they're going to push back. Of course, Mm -hmm. we have no emotional leverage, so to speak, because we spend all of our time micromanaging instead of leading, inspiring, motivating, encouraging. Yes, connecting. So it's really that if we want to use the work paradigm, which is flawed already, but if we're going to use it, think about the difference between a good leader and a a manager. And so Mm -hmm. we need to be inspiring them to make the right choices, motivating them being very visible about what our values are as a family and how we live by those and how that shows in our everyday life and encourage those you know it's not enough to just say oh i value this like if if that doesn't like show me the receipts like if that doesn't show up in your day-to-day life then of course that's not going to be a value that your child espouses or your teen espouses right so you know if you value family and connection how does that show up? Yeah. You know, I hear that a lot from families and yet, you know, their day-to-day lives don't necessarily reflect that or, you know, community. Okay. So how are you connected to your community? So, you know, and I'm not presupposing anyone's values. I'm simply saying that when you have a clear set of defined values, that becomes the compass for your, your children and teens. And as long as your, your actions are aligned with those values, then they will have that, you know, roadmap to, to guide them through. And again, that's where that motivation is going to come from. That's where the inspiration is going to come from to make those good moral choices and judgments because they have lived and experienced with you as parents, as parents aligned with those values. Yeah, I'm with you on the values too. That's one thing that we work with, I work with all my parents too, is defining what their values are because most of the time we're not clear on them. And so how are we consistently living and communicating those? And it's so much easier for a child to say, is this the kind thing to do rather than is this the right thing to do? Because right is, you know, 
right? Can be anything. Kind is a little bit clear. So I think giving them those tools. So the other thing before we go, the other thing that you had talked about too was problem solving as a way to help instead of punishing problem solving, which is again, so aligned with you on all of this. Um, So tell us a little bit from your perspective, what that means and how you do that. So I kind of think about problem solving from, from two sides. One is just opportunities to figure things out in day-to-day life. So for example, um, one of my colleagues, Rachel Rainbow, uses a great example where her teen asked, you know, can we go skating later today? And so rather than saying yes or no, and then engaging in, you know, all of this prep work ourselves, it's kind of turning it back to them, or let's say, you know, go to see a movie, then turn it back to them and say, okay, well, here's what we have today. Why don't you look up, you know, what time that movie is playing? Where is it? What do we have to do? How can we get there? Will we have enough time to get there? What else happens? But really just engaging them in the process, right? Or maybe they want to go on a trip with a friend. Okay, so plan that out. Where would you stay? Where would you, you know, giving them autonomy to kind of figure things out along the way, which also means that they need to have had practice with responsibility all along. They need to have, you know, some independence to be able to problem solve. So we're building that in on the front end to begin with, rather than kind of doing all that executive functioning work for them, right? And then when things go wrong, um, then we can sit with them and say, okay, so what are your options? What can you do, right? Not fixing it, not saying, okay, well, you know, I'm gonna call the teacher and I'm gonna talk about whatever and I'm gonna do this or I'll talk to your principal whatever the problem may be, just saying like, what are your options? You know, what are you thinking? What are you, walk me through your thinking right now. What do you think you could do, you know, with this friend or this friend said this, or, you know, asking, you know, well, you've told me that this is what you look for in a friend. Is that friend, you know, is this friend showing you those things that you're, that you're looking for? Or tell me about that. What's your thinking? So really just asking questions, getting curious, and asking them to think through things as opposed to just diving in and problem solving for them and robbing them of that opportunity and allowing them to make mistakes, not saying, well, that's not going to work because this. <laughs> yes. The making the mistakes is so important because I think a lot of, we see a lot of adults and kids afraid to try anything. And I see a lot of people going, you know, my kid just gives up so easily or they don't even try it's a fear of failure. It's not lack of motivation. I think a lot of people think, oh, they're so lazy. And it's like, no, they're, they're terrified of the, of the repercussions of failing, which means they probably, there's been a lot of repercussions in the, in the past for failing. That's right. Um, And even if it's not from us, it could be from other people. And I think, again, shame is one of those things that as a culture, and I've shared stories recently of, other adults shaming my daughter for things that they don't understand. And, you know, and then me reacting in a way where I'm like, I have to apologize to my daughter later. Cause I'm like, I went into this state of flight or flight and I did not respond the way I wanted to yeah. in that and stand up for you the way, because I was feeling judged. And I went into this state of, you know, this and thankfully, cause if I had, I probably would have punched them in the face and that would have been good either. Not what I want to touch my daughter. Right. Yeah. But I think we, as a society are so open and so um, abundant with our shame that our teens are going to get plenty of them of it without us needing to pile it on ourselves. Yeah. So 
making our home and us the place where it's safe and they feel like they belong and they're accepted. Now that's powerful, right? hundred percent. You know, I talk about, um, failure Fridays or, um, you know, just encouraging failure. So one of the questions that I ask my kids, you know, on a regular basis after school is what did you fail at today? And, you know, and when we make small mistakes, I always like when I make a mistake, I'll announce it and ask for a high five and simple things like, you know, last week I was cooking something and I had turned the wrong burner on. And so the water wasn't boiling. And I was like, guys, guess what I did? I need a high five. I made this mistake, you know, but just normalizing mistakes, you know, or, you know, I remember one time I was taking them to a dentist appointment and I had just had the wrong time in my head. And so, you know, I was half an hour to my later, daily life. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> and I remember saying, you know, I picked them up and I said, you know what, I made a mistake. I had the wrong time in my head. We're going to go. And they're like, what are we going to do when we get there? And I said, chances are they won't see us and we'll have to reschedule and we'll reschedule and we'll go back another day. I'll apologize. And if there's a fee, I'll pay the fee. And I'll try to make sure that I put it in my phone when they tell me the time next time instead of being like, oh, yeah, I'll remember later. You know, so just normalizing that process. And often as parents, again, maybe because we're so afraid of losing that so-called power, we are not open about our mistakes or even we're just not thinking about it. So we don't share those. But they are such perfect opportunities because I don't know about you, but I make a lot of mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> so there's lots of opportunity for me to share those with my yeah. kids. <laughs> and I think going back to the humor too, like we, we laugh at them and it's not laughing at each other. No, um, it's not laughing at us. It's laughing kind of at ourselves and at the the failure because we're like, okay, that was silly. Like we can't believe. And then how do we prevent that from happening again? Yeah. Right. Um, one thing I want to say too, just about the humor, humor is so powerful, but, but I don't, I believe you're going to agree with this, not sarcasm. Exactly. Kids yes. don't get like, sarcasm. Sarcasm just comes across as cruel. That's right. That's right. And listen, as somebody who I love has sarcasm. regular I use of sarcasm, I, know. I uh, you know, every once in a while I catch myself and I'm like, Ooh, yeah, that's not, um, that's not clever or witty. That's just, it's just mean. Just and mean. that they only it. see it as mean. That's right. And so I see parents that try to lighten stuff up with sarcasm, but when you look underneath it, they actually are being mean. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. It's a fine line sometimes where we have to err on this side of it. <laughs> yeah. They're saying I'm being seen. So, okay. So how do people find you and work with you? So right now, um, you, well, you can find me on my website, drtamarasouls.com. Um, and my handles on pretty much all social media are at Dr. Tamara Souls. And right now I don't work with clients one-on-one -on -one anymore, but I do have um, these, you know, parenting groups that I, that I run, these online parenting courses. So information about those is on my website. And then I also have the podcast, as you mentioned at the beginning, called This Hour Has 50 Minutes. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being part of our, our talk today. Thank you. Really this enjoyed was such fun. Really enjoyed talking to you. I loved it. Thank you. Sure. And parents, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to spend with us. If you want to learn more about how to help your teens succeed, you can grab my free guide, Seven Secrets to Motivating Teens at AskDrCam.com slash Motivate Teens. And by the way, it's, well, 
I always say that it's about motivating teens, but that's why people want to motivate teens. But just a little insider, we can't motivate our teens, but it's how to help inspire them. So I just want to make that clear. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and with a friend and take a quick moment to rate and review. Before next time, have a peaceful, positive, calm day. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today on Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. Make sure to visit my website, www.askdrcam.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show again. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, and hey, why not share it with a friend too? Be sure to tune in to my next episode. And remember, parenting teens may not be easy, but with my help, it can be a whole lot easier than this.